You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Arlington Remastered. Chapter 15. The Candidates. From the Journal of Sarah Arlington. Washington. District of Columbia. March 5th, 1883. The morning air in Washington was crisp and I smiled to feel the sun on my face as my first candidate exited his coach. I had chosen to conduct this meeting in a walk around the botanic gardens beside the Capitol building. In the periphery of my vision, two trusted agents, Steed and Latrum, chosen by Major Butler for their combination of watchfulness and reaction speed, paced quietly along with us at a distance. Senator Henry McPherson was charcoal-haired and serious. I knew I would have a fight on my hands. But as the prior definitions of what a Republican was had shifted over the years of the Wendigo, I was intrigued as to what his outlook would be. Pleased to make your acquaintance. Senator, thank you for meeting with me over this rather delicate situation. I was briefed on it. I assume this is about my candidacy. In her manner of speaking... You know what happened to Vice President Hayes two days ago? Yes, I read this morning in the Herald. Awful business. He was a good man. He was. Listen, I'll get straight to the point. We're assisting with the assessment process to find someone of equal or greater inherent goodness to fill his role as Vice President. That I did not expect. Would you consider it? I want to be president, Mrs. Arlington. I'll make no bones about that. I value this city and its people. I believe we're representative of the best America can offer in this world today. May I ask a personal question, for the record? You may. How do you feel about the East expansion? Taking the cities? How do I feel? I feel it's over-reliance on the military. It's resource-intensive. It puts far too much emphasis on reclamation when you should be creating new settlements. I feel the cities should be left, and every accursed Wendigo in them can starve to death. They haven't yet. That doesn't mean they won't. But every new wave of refugees that comes flooding into this city dilutes our supplies and actively weakens our position. I think you're doing pretty much everything wrong. Well, at least you speak your mind on- You've seen the streets out there. We've got homeless families huddling in doorways, sleeping at their posts in the factories because there isn't enough room. You have them all working on growing food, but in the meantime, serious illnesses are coming back. That's why I'm going to be pushing for bigger and better hospitals and disease control. We're not in the dark ages anymore. There's no excuse for plague. We have the cholera outbreak contained at the moment. You're right, sir. We understand sanitation now. We can overcome these things, but it requires cooperation. It requires space which is a luxury we're running out of. Have you been out there, sir? Space is one thing America has in astonishing abundance. Precisely, but it's all out there, and we're dealing with a ridiculous overconcentration of people in an urban environment that was never designed to hold this many. If I get to office, my first priority will be sending every new group of wandering displaced down the road to Manassas. And from there, Winchester. And from there, Morgantown. Push them west and let them strengthen our supply lines along the way. We are doing that. We just take the time to let them rest and set them up with government jobs. Too many of them, and it's taking too much time. You're being naive, Mrs. Arlington. 
These people are hearing that Washington is a safe haven and will protect them, especially after your husband published his little brown book. Well, we needed to give them hope. Misplaced hope. You've made them reliant on a weakened and struggling system when they should be pulling themselves up by the bootstraps. I am entirely with you on the notion of everyone pitching in, but the weak and the needy are swallowing up all the resources of the strong. Fortunately, we don't need you to agree with our policies. Dare I ask if you're interested in the role of Vice President? Not in the slightest. That is a shame. The most insignificant office that ever the invention of man contrived, or his imagination conceived. John Adams. Very good, Mrs. Arlington. It's a nothing job, one no boy ever dreams of. Grant may somehow overcome his decaying reputation and actually win next year's election. However, if that happens whilst I'm still vice president, then my best chance in terms of actually making a difference would be to go the way of Tyler, and Fillmore, and Johnson. Literal dead man's boots. But it's not as simple as that. Timing and outward image is key in all of this. Let's say, hypothetically, I accepted your request and took the job today. It's not a request. We're assessing viable candidates. Of those three vice presidents I just mentioned, who found themselves suddenly and unexpectedly in the occupation of commander-in-chief, thanks to the machinations of the Grim Reaper, Tyler stepped down for the next election. The other two attempted to run and failed. What about Van Buren? And your man, John Adams? Both elected after their vice presidency. And Adams had to step into George Washington's shoes. If I hitch my colors to Grant's mast, even if I'm publicly in opposition, I'd be asking Grant to support me in undoing and putting right many of his mistakes. Again, this is all hypothetical. We're certainly not begging you to consider the job. You don't even have to agree with Grant's policies. Adams VP, fellow name of Thomas Jefferson, won on a campaign of staunch opposition. That business was long ago, ma'am. America has changed a great deal since then. This is a popular vote, and thanks to the amendments to the electoral roll, now everyone has the opportunity to cast their ballot. Negroes, Hispanics, even women. <sighs> Progress like that can be painful for the entrenched. You misunderstand me, madam. That's the reason I'm going to win. Grant may have slipped through on the House vote in recent years, enough to get four terms under his belt, but this is the first instance of letting the people decide. Maybe in 1880, after we got this city back, he'd have still got their favor. There's a lot of clout being a former military leader in office during wartime, but only when things are going the army's way. There are so many out there who are tired and want to change. That persistence and selflessness and boundless forward momentum you're asking of them isn't going to work in Grant's favor come next November. By which point the District of Columbia and all the actual eligible settlements will be so crowded that, when I offer them relief, I believe they will respond with overwhelming favor. I want a strong America, Mrs. Arlington. And you are right, I could be his vice president and publicly oppose him. Perish the thought, as I do respect Grant, but he's an elderly man under an immense amount of pressure. If he dies before the 1884 ballot, that would give me his remaining days in office to attempt to effect change, before having to vie for the role once more from a position of weakness, as I would be so busy preparing my re-election campaign that I'd barely be able to implement my initial changes in order to illustrate the difference in our managerial approach. No, Mrs. Arlington, I'm afraid I'll be running for election the old-fashioned way, and basing my campaign on the inescapable issues that concern the American citizens, and can't simply be overcome by suggesting everyone just make space and work harder. It would weaken my position, and by extension, jeopardize the country and its people. Well, Senator, I do admire the courage of your convictions. 
Many people with some power would leap at this chance, just to be able to make more of a name for themselves. But you clearly have a plan mapped out. I wish you good luck on the campaign trail. May the best man for the job win. Tell me, Mrs. Arlington, does the National Intelligence Agency still answer to the White House? That's right. So you're not autonomous yet. If Grant were to decide to restructure your departments, that's still within his remit? Technically, yes. Good to know. From the Journal of Thomas Arlington, Washington, District of Columbia, March 5th, 1883. Major Butler, would you please show in Mr. Van Tassel? And for the love of God, do not take your eye off his companion. Yes, sir. The doors to my office opened, and in walked a stout fellow with a face that had grown over-accustomed to the taste of ham. He had his thumbs hitched into his jacket and traversed the room with an air of unearned pomposity. The man who walked beside him, though, was who concerned me. Gangly and intense, with the build of a brawler, staring eyes inset within a full red-bearded face. He wore a bottle-green long coat and a tall, brown derby hat. The rotund one spoke first. Delighted to make your acquaintance, Director. I am Mr. Dutch Van Tassel, and this is my associate, Mr. Maurice Fisher. So this is him in the flesh. The man in charge of all this. Smells respectable. Whoever thought a jigaboo would land himself in such fineries? Sir, I assure you of my respectability and welcome you to my office. But if you speak like that again, I will have Major Butler here show the two of you out. You called for him, now you change your mind? Now, Maurice, there's no need to start off on such an unseemly foot. We're guests of Mr. Arlington. I locked eyes with Fisher. He stood aggressively, fingers twitching. They would have been searched thoroughly before being admitted, but from the look of him, he might not need a blade to do me some serious damage. I was grateful for the armoured coat Harry had crafted for me. I held my ground and kept my gaze relaxed, but firmly holding his, pivoting lightly onto the balls of my feet and subconsciously marking that the throat under that beard would be vulnerable. To one side, Butler stood, his mind clear and drawing hand ready. Behind my desk, Lee was preparing some drinks. Ah, I dare say we might welcome a spot of liquid refreshment, sir. Why am I now being offered some fucking concoction by a goddamn celestial? You allow them in the same room as you? Lee, the port will be sufficient. Oh, hallelujah, this I shall enjoy. I still had not shaken hands with either of these two. Ah, lovely. Ah, yes, this port has plenty of nose. Thank you, Lee. None for me, you chink bitch. Lee and I exchanged glances, and she went to stand in the corner obediently. In her hand, unseen by all, I knew there rested a throwing knife. Why ain't she leaving? In case I need anything. Mr. Van Tassel, this is about your recent announcement of running for president next year and in particular your very public volunteering of yourself for vice-president this morning. 
Ah, yes, I had a feeling it might be. Yes, I would like to be considered. As merely one of a dozen likely prospects, and Lord knows how many more will step forward in the near future, I believe it would be the highest honor to step up to the task. We are now at a time when any man could be the next president. I'm sure you understand that this is a very exciting time for America. The common people are being given the vote, and they shall speak loudly of their needs. It is my belief that there will be a strong desire to re-embrace currency. The government credit system is the best way to make sure everyone gets a fair wage. So everyone has enough to eat, enough to survive. And you want to upset that. Absolutely I do, and I'll tell you for why. People don't just want to survive. That ain't the American dream and never was. We didn't leave the clutches of England just to survive out here. We came out to thrive. And, sir, wonderful job though you've done along with your administration. You've capped off a man's ability, his inalienable right, to thrive. The American dream is sleeping, and we need to wake it back up again. That means currency. That means business. That means profit. That means poverty for a hell of a lot of people. That means not knowing where the next meal might be coming from. Ah, but for others it means power. And it means that everyone has a fair shot at striking it rich. There's another aspect to your campaign that has me more than a little concerned, sir. Ah. He's talking about slavery. Ah. He don't want to see his kind back in irons. Am I right? You are. Well, of course, under the new economic system, someone of your standing would never have to worry about being put back out there to work in the fields. You could ensure that your associates of the blacker skin tone would remain free, and only those below a certain, uh, fiscal level would be put back to unpaid work. But before you object further, those men and women would be housed and fed. I ask you, what's the essential difference between what I'm suggesting for some Americans relative to what you're commanding we all abide by? He's fucking right. You got each of us dancing to your tune. You made slaves of us all. What do you do, Mr. Fisher? I run one of the fisheries up on the west side. You know, fish by name, right? You can check our books. I have done. I help the people of our district get what they need. I'm known. I'm respected. And you're assisting Mr. Van Tassel in his campaign. Fucking A right. I want to see the dollar bought back. So does everyone out there. We deserve it. And Dutch is our boy. A hey, Dutch. <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. The voice of the common man. That's right, he is. Come on, Dutch. This nigger keeps his eyes on me much longer. I'm going to bite him out of his head. Ah, ha. Do you suppose this little misunderstanding will harm my chances for consideration as the new vice president? Get out, both of you. Well, that could have gone better. I hope you know I nearly shot that man dead there. I almost wish you had. So, Van Tassel's a puppet, clearly. Oh, yes. And Lee, I'm very sorry you had to go through that. Thank you, sir. Likewise. You can come in now, Sadler. Thank you, sir. 
Lee opened the doorway behind my mirror, and Lawton Sadler stepped into the room, blinking as his eyes readjusted to the light. That was him, sir. You're sure? Hand to God. The fellow who came to inspect the side of the poppy field, the one I tailed, he met with Fisher yesterday evening. It was over in the second warehouse at his factory. Are we going to step in and shut him down? Actually, no, Major. Right now, that wretched conniving thug and his pet buffoon are our best link to the organized crime ring. At this stage, it's more important that we find out who he links with than the imperative of simply taking out Fisher. We do that, and there's going to be a power vacuum anyway. So we have more than a year until election. Plenty of time to watch their campaign begin. We know our enemy. We use him. What about his thoughts on currency? We leave him out there drumming up public desire for their own businesses and starting up cash for trading again, and these ideas are going to stick. The desire for capital gain may be a beast you can't keep chained indefinitely. I'm frankly amazed you've lasted this long. You may be right on that. And now it's time for our next candidate. Lee, could you show in Mr. Edison? You have been listening to episode 15 of Arlington Remastered, The Candidates, written, edited, and directed by Alexander Shaw. Senator Henry McPherson, performed by Daniel Floyd. Dutch Van Tassel, performed by Lou Fernandez. Sarah Arlington, performed by Maureen Foley. Thomas Arlington and Maurice Fisher, performed by Alex Shaw. Frank Butler and Lawton Sadler, performed by Spencer Lieb. Agent Lee, performed by Sharon Shaw. Prospector theme, Clash Defiant and Battle Hymn of the Republic, performed by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Make Your Decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. Many soundscapes by Tabletop Audio. Daniel Floyd is the host of New Frame Plus, an astonishingly rich series about video game animation. And Lou Fernandez is the host of Lou Reads the Internet for You, wherein he delves into the weird wilds of the information superhighway. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon. Our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you too. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Outridge, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Evan Jankowski, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Gasiga, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joseph Gluck, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Mark Luksch, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Scott Jacob, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. 